said, this is our second week in our Dry Bones Rising series. And uh, as I explained uh, last week, uh, that comes from Ezekiel chapter 37. And just in case you missed the description of the vision in Ezekiel 37, uh, the prophet saw a vision of human, uh, of a desert with human dry bones. And he heard the voice of the Lord ask, uh, can these dry bones live? And he said, well, you alone know, Lord, which is a very optimistic answer, right? Because valley of human dry bones, I mean, I don't think they can live, right? It's uh, pretty irrational to think that they could. And yet the bones start rattling together, and tendons and ligaments and skin covers them, and then the breath of life enters them, and they stand up um, as full human beings, living human beings. And I love that vision because it is a reminder to us that even the most hopeless situations can turn around through God's power. And I would say, after 15 months of pandemic life, a lot of us are fearing, feeling spiritually like dry bones. A lot of uh, churches are feeling like dry bones. A lot of pastors are feeling like dry bones. And I want us to hear the voice of the Lord saying, can these bones live again? And to recognize that what Ezekiel 37 says is yes, absolutely, these bones can live again. So throughout this series, the question that we're trying to answer is how can we come to life spiritually? What are the things that we can do to bring life to our dry bones? And the passage that we're using to guide us is Acts 2.42. And if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, that's where we're going to camp out most of this message. Acts 2.42. Now, as uh, Zach pointed out, we are not going to have a projector this morning, which I'm still holding this thing out of habit. I don't know why. Um, If I seem a little scattered, it's because it's been a messy morning, to put it mildly. (laughs) So... um, I arrived here, and it was colder than it is now, okay? It was, it was very cold up here, and we knew that we weren't going to be able to turn on the heat, and so I quickly grabbed four of our space heaters downstairs, and I brought them up here, plugged two on each side. First that circuit went, then that circuit went, all right? So now we have no space heaters, and also because the circuit went, the projector went as well. And then poor Caleb was trying to figure out some way that maybe he could plug in the projector, you know, and I don't, he and Steve were doing something, I don't know, it looked like maybe if they followed through on it, through, followed through on it, one of them would break their necks. Um, so, but yeah, so things were messy this morning, and if I seem a little scattered, that is, that is partially why I'm still coming down off the craziness before service. But actually, I realize now that all of that craziness does tie in well to this message. And uh, that will become apparent in a little while. Why that is. But anyway, Acts 2.42 describes the state of the early church right after Pentecost, right after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where everyone is on that high of having been filled with the Spirit. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, last week, we talked about prayer 
uh, as one of the things that we need to be devoted to in order for our dry bones to come to life spiritually. This week, what I want to focus on is that second one, to fellowship. Fellowship. What is fellowship? To put it simply, uh, to be devoted to fellowship is to be devoted to being with other followers of Jesus. To be devoted to being with other followers of Jesus. Now, 15 months ago, it became a lot harder for us to be devoted to fellowship, didn't it? A lot harder, because suddenly our fellowship had to be virtual, or it had to be physically distanced. And that's not the same. It's better than nothing, for sure. Uh, it, it was the right thing to do, but it's not ideal. It's not the same. It's just not. And I really believe that there have been spiritual consequences to that lack of in-person fellowship. And I'm not just talking about our church. I'm just talking, generally speaking, with churches all over the world. You know, if you think of your faith like a flame, that flame is a lot less likely to go out if it's surrounded by other flames, right? That's the way that God made us. He, he made us in such a way that we need each other. We're meant to be in community with each other. And so these last 15 months, they have been really hard for churches, now, I am so thankful that it looks like, I mean, I don't want to be presumptuous, but it looks like we are finally coming out of the season where COVID needs to be an impediment to us having in-person fellowship. Um, I am uh, not an epidemiologist, I'm not a scientist, but based on what I'm seeing with the data, things look really good, right? Um, they say that about 75% of people in Connecticut have gotten at least one dose of a vaccine. Um, the numbers have been declining very steadily. Uh, a couple months ago, if you looked at a map of Connecticut, most of it was red, right? Just about every town was on high, high alert. Uh, this week, I looked at a map of Connecticut, and almost all of it is gray, which is the best possible color on the map. Uh, there's one town that's still holding out in red. Um, but overall, things look, look really good. And I know that one difficult um, issue is, is kids, right? Uh, kids, young kids, haven't been able to be vaccinated. Um, and, you know, I understand some parents are very concerned about that. That's a, that's a legitimate concern. Um, from what I understand, though, the, the good news is that if we look at the data throughout the pandemic, kids generally aren't real badly affected by COVID. I'm not saying it shouldn't be a concern at all, but uh, I read an article in NPR this week that said that the average kid that, that gets COVID, um, their chances of having a really bad case are about the chances of having a bad flu. Uh, now, a lot of people throughout the pandemic tried to say, oh, COVID's no worse than the flu, and the data does not bear that out at all. Okay. If you're talking about the general population, COVID is much more serious than the average flu. Um, but if you're talking about kids specifically, it looks like kids tend to handle COVID much better than the general population. So all I'm saying is that overall, it looks like we're in a good position, right? If this trend continues, things are positive, and it, it looks like in all likelihood, COVID is not going to need to be an impediment to in-person fellowship very soon, if it's not for many of us already, right? Um, so, 
That's the state of things, but I want to acknowledge something. Okay, as the threat of COVID decreases, that doesn't mean that automatically our devotion to fellowship is going to return. There's no guarantee about that. You know, over the last 15 months, a lot of people have gotten really used to live stream church. A lot of people just like being able to roll out of bed in the morning, not, you know, change out of their PJs and just turn it on. It, it's easy. It's simple. Uh, other people have stopped watching a church live stream entirely, and maybe they've gravitated towards a podcast or a teacher on YouTube that they really like, and that's where they go to every week for some spiritual nourishment. Maybe they don't even go specifically on a Sunday to those places, but throughout the week, you know, they, they try to nourish themselves through speakers and teachers that they like um, through those avenues. And then, sadly, other people over the last 15 months have just kind of disconnected from their faith entirely. Disconnected from fellowship. And at this point, there are a lot of people out there who are wondering, you know, because they've gone without in-person fellowship for so long, they're wondering, is this practice of going to a physical place every week and worshiping together, does it really matter? Is it really important? Is it valuable? I mean, we've been living without it for 15 months, so do we need it? Well, I'm sure nobody is going to be surprised to hear me say that I think the answer is yes. <laughs> it is really important. It's hugely important. Why? Because devotion to fellowship is important. It has been a discipline of followers of Christ since the very beginning, for thousands of years. Now, you might say, well, Ryan, uh, devotion to fellowship is important, but I don't need to go to a church building to have fellowship. I mean, when you think about it, the church isn't a building. The church is people, right? So I can have fellowship over dinner with other followers of Jesus. I can have fellowship in Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. I can have fellowship with a, you know, a Bible study at my house. This whole, like, going to church thing, it's not really necessary. And here's what I would say to that. I would say, well, yeah, you can have a lot of fellowship, a lot of great fellowship in those ways. And you should. That's important. But that's only one kind of fellowship. And there's actually two kinds of fellowship. And they're both really important. The kind of fellowship that you're thinking of is when followers of Jesus look at each other. Let's call that fellowship number one. But the second kind of fellowship is when followers of Jesus look at God together. So that first kind of fellowship, when you're looking at each other, that's when, you know, you get to know each other, you support each other through hard times, you pray for one another, you laugh with each other, you cry with each other, you eat together. It's all important. But the second kind of fellowship is the kind of fellowship that happens when you gather for the purpose of worshiping God together. Okay, honoring and exalting him together, standing shoulder to shoulder in shared worship of your creator. That is another very important kind of worship. Acts 2.42 indicates some of the things that happened 
when those early believers were devoted to fellowship. Uh, if you look at the verse, you'll notice it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, to be devoted to the apostles' teaching means that they were devoted to learning from the apostles, which for us today means being devoted to learning from the New Testament. And being devoted to the breaking of bread, most commentators think that's not just talking about being devoted to eating together, but being devoted specifically to the observance of the Lord's Supper, right? Being devoted to remembering Jesus in the way that he commanded to remember us to remember him. So those two activities are the kinds of things that we do, what, in a gathered in-person worship service, right? The early church was devoted to fellowshipping in those ways. Now you might say, well, but Ryan, the world has changed. You know, they didn't even have phones back then, never mind the internet. We don't need to be physically together to worship anymore. Right? We can do it online. But again, let me repeat what I said earlier. It's not the same. It really isn't. Throughout 2020, I would hear sports fans say, you know, watching games just isn't the same. Because the fans aren't in the stands. Now, I'm not a big sports person, so, you know, didn't make a difference to me. <laughs> But for those who watch sports, they were all clear. It's not the same, right? Nobody said, oh, I don't really care. The game is still happening. Who cares whether the stands are full or not? It makes no difference to my experience. Nobody said that because there is a completely different energy to the game when the fans are in the stands, right? And similarly, the experience of worship is very different when there are others experiencing it alongside you in that same physical space. Now, worshiping through a computer screen is the best option in a pandemic. But it's not the ideal state of affairs. <laughs> not by any stretch of the imagination. The Apostle Paul encouraged us to think of each person in the church as a different part of Christ's body. And the point of that metaphor was to emphasize that we're not all the same and we need each other. We're not all the same and we need each other. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. We're not all the same, and we need each other. Now, most of the time when, when this passage gets applied, we talk about how each person in the body of Christ throughout the whole world has different uh, gifts and abilities, and in order for the church to function well, everyone has to be using their gifts and abilities. And that's a perfectly good, correct interpretation of that passage. But I want to encourage us to think about it in a little bit of a different way, okay? What if you are like an ear in the body of Christ, and if you're not present in the worship gathering, some people just aren't going to be able to hear from God 
the way they would if you're there. Simply the virtue of your presence might help some people hear from God more. What if you're like a nerve in the body of Christ? And if you're present in the worship gathering, there are going to be some people who can feel the presence of God who would not otherwise be able to. What if you're like a taste bud in the body of Christ? And if you're not present in the worship gathering, some people aren't going to be able to taste the goodness of God the way they could if you were there. It's not the usual application of the passage, but I want to encourage you to think about it that way. Okay? There's something kind of mystical to the way that Paul describes the church. You're all part of the body of Christ. I don't think it's a stretch for us to think like that. Okay, now, before I get in trouble here, I feel like I need to put a big disclaimer on everything I'm saying, okay? I am not trying to pressure anyone to come to in-person service before they feel like it is safe for them to do it. I am not trying to do that, okay? I know especially parents are in a tough situation. This is not about shaming anyone. That is not what this is about, okay? But what I am saying is simply this. We should be devoted to fellowship, and that includes being devoted to worshiping God together, exalting God together. And even if some of us right now don't feel like it's safe enough to do that yet, we should be planning on returning as soon as we do, because it matters, because it's important, because worshiping together matters, because the experience of worship is different when parts of the body aren't there. Because the game is different when the fans aren't in the stands. You know, I really think that no matter how online human existence becomes, and we all know it's be human existence is becoming more and more online, right? No matter how much that happens, people need to know that if they feel a tug on their hearts to seek God, that there are physical places that they can go to at least once a week where they will find a certain number of people who believe that God is worth 90 minutes of their time on a Sunday morning. They need to know that places like that exist. The world needs that testimony. We all need that testimony. All right. So far, I've focused on the second kind of fellowship, the looking at God together one. Let's talk a little bit about the looking at each other one. It's that kind of fellowship. It's very important, too. A lot of churchgoers get discouraged because they feel like they come to church and the only kind of fellowship they get is the looking at God together one. They don't feel like they have any meaningful looking at each other kind of fellowship. All of us need fellow travelers on the journey of faith, on the journey of following Jesus. We all do. We need people we can pray with. We need people that we can confess to. Uh, we need people that we can cry with and laugh with. All of us need that. And, you know, if you look throughout the Bible, you will see that, especially throughout the New Testament, so much of what is written assumes that we are going to be in community with each other. In fact, most of the letters in the New Testament, whenever it says you, it means y'all. 
right? It doesn't just mean you. If you look at it in the Greek, it is the plural of the second person, right? Most of these letters are not written to individuals. They were written to communities. You know, how many times do you see in Scripture these exhortations for the body of Christ to be unified? How can we be unified if we're never fellowshipping with each other, right? It's impossible. <clears throat> you know, there's exhortations for us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. Again, we can't do that if we don't fellowship with each other. Now, I know some of us are more introverted than others. Some of us need more of our alone time than others. That's okay. But no matter how introverted we are, all of us need fellowship. All of us need fellow travelers. Some of us need them a little bit more often, more frequently than others. <laughs> okay, but we all do need them. So, as the pandemic is receding, I really want to encourage us to connect. You know, make time for each other. Eat together again. Get coffee together. Visit with one another. We need that. We really do. And if you're looking for a way to start, as Zach said at the beginning of service, uh, next week we're providing an opportunity for that. We're going to have a picnic at the River Road Park, um, which is, this is River Road, just in case anybody was wondering. So you just keep going past the Dunkin' Donuts, a little ways down the road. It's on your left. And it's a nice uh, location. There's a pavilion with 11 picnic tables. Um, there's a, uh, a baseball field. There's a basketball court, volleyball court. I think I'm going to bring a badminton net. Uh, we'll provide some food. And uh, I just want to encourage you uh, to consider being there for that. Uh, you can uh, pray with me that the weather will be better than today. <laughs> so isn't it ridiculous? It was 88 last Sunday. It's 48 today. My goodness. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully next weekend will be better. All right, I want to take a couple minutes at the end here to speak to a certain kind of person. And I'll admit, it's unlikely that this kind of person is sitting here right now. Um, but I think I, I still want to speak to this kind of person who may be listening. Uh, maybe you are listening to this message on a live stream or on the podcast later in the week. And as I'm speaking, you're thinking, you know, I don't really miss fellowship. I don't miss going to church. I don't miss interacting with people from church. Honestly, I just find it easier to get whatever teaching I want online and not to have to deal with people. People are difficult. I don't really like making awkward small talk. Um, people drain my energy. A lot of people in church believe things and think things that I don't agree with. Um, so, you know what? After this pandemic, I've realized I'm done with church fellowship. I'm okay with that. I'm still a Christ follower, but I'm done with church fellowship. All right, so let me speak to you if you're in that frame of mind and offer some things for you to consider. First, 
You say you're a Christ follower. Let me encourage you to think about what it means to be a Christ follower. I am confident that if you think you are a Christ follower, and I'm not denying that you are, I'm just saying, I'm confident that if you think that you are a Christ follower, that you believe it is very important to learn how to be a person of love, right? I'm sure you agree with 1 Corinthians 13, which says, without love we are nothing, right? But remember, love cannot be learned in isolation. You cannot love people while just watching a computer screen or listening to a podcast, right? Love requires interaction. And it doesn't, learning to love doesn't just require interaction with people that you find easy to get along with, right? Learning to love requires some interaction with difficult people. You know, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. You only need patience if you're around people that sometimes make you impatient. Paul said, love keeps no record of wrongs. How are you going to do that unless you're around some people who wrong you sometimes? Paul said, love is not easily angered. You can't practice that unless you're sometimes around people who push your buttons. Right? So what I'm saying is the very reason that you don't want to be in fellowship might be the reason you need to be there. Because the effort that fellowship takes helps you to be more loving. A church community can be like a gym for your heart. You work it out. It gets stronger and better at loving. Now, okay, let me acknowledge, there are some church communities that get so messed up that they are not like gyms. They are like torture chambers. And when that happens, the healthiest thing that you can do is go find another church. Okay, so I just want to be honest about that. Sometimes that happens. But even the healthiest church communities are still going to challenge you. They are still going to be a workout for your heart, even the best ones. And that's okay. That's a good thing because that helps you in the journey of being a disciple, of becoming more like Jesus. It's part of the process. Another thing I'd like you to think about is a proverb. This is one of my favorite proverbs. Uh, it's Proverbs 14.4. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of the ox. Now, what does that have to do with anything? I'll say it again. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of the ox. Okay, what this is saying is, if you have oxen, they're going to make a mess. They're going to poop. They're going to shed, right? Uh, they're going to attract flies and drop their food all over the place, right? That's what oxen do. They make a mess. But much increase comes from the strength of the ox. The ox makes a mess, but when you have oxen, there are things that you can accomplish, that you can do, that you would never be able to do otherwise. 
There's something to be gained from the mess that makes the mess worth it. Now, like all Proverbs, there's a, there's a principle behind the proverb that's bigger than just the literal meaning. Right? This isn't just about oxen. Okay, this is saying something that's true about life, which is this. Certain good things only happen when we're willing to disturb our comfort zone. Certain good things will only happen when we're willing to let life get messy. You know, I remember several years ago, I had this game on my phone that I was addicted to. It was one of those game, stupid games with just like numbers and balls. And, and I, I could sit there and play that for like hours at a time if I let myself. And one day I thought, what if I just sat around in all my free time and played this game? And I thought, well, you know, I would have sort of a low-grade enjoyment all the time. And it's safe. There's no risk involved, right? It's not messy. But I would never have real joy. I would never have the thrill of an accomplishment, right? In order to experience real reward, we have to be willing to, to take risks, right? To let life get messy. We have to be willing to break out of our patterns of safety. And you know, be willing for there to be a mess. Okay, that's, that is the way that life works. So let's, let's rewrite the proverb, but substitute church fellowship, okay, instead of oxen. We could say something like, where there is no church fellowship, there is no church conflict. There's no awkward small talk, there's no, you know, working through difficult stuff, there's no butting heads over policy and theology and all that sort of thing, but... Much good comes from a church community that is striving together to try and follow Jesus. Do you see the parallel there? Where there is no church fellowship, there is no church conflict, but much good comes from a church that is following Jesus, striving to follow Jesus. Is it easier to skip interacting with people and just listen to podcasts and watch YouTube videos for church. Oh, yeah, it's way easier. It's way less messy. It costs nothing. But there is something that we miss out on when we're unliving, unwilling to live with the mess. And like I said, this morning, it was a mess. <laughs> it would have been so much easier if I was just at home watching a screen, right? It's freezing cold. I can't figure out how to get it warm. I'm blowing the circuits. I'm going to have to talk to the landlord later about that. It's a mess, right? And of course, the whole time I'm thinking, are people going to come? It's raining out. It's cold. When people come, are they going to be upset because they're sitting and they're freezing? And then they're going to say, I'm not going to come back there. Obviously, all these thoughts are in my head, right? It's messy. But it makes a much better story than I just sat at home and watched something. Right? The mess is worth it. One way that I've heard this proverb summarized is where there is life, there is manure. No manure, no life. The only way that you can get away from the mess entirely 
is death, right? But as you move close to life, you also have to deal with the manure that comes with it. We can cut ourselves off from the messiness of church fellowship. We can live our entire lives behind screens and earbuds. But in the absence of the mess, we will be fleeing life. We will be missing out on life. And I just want to encourage us, let's not miss out on life. Let's be devoted to fellowship. Because if we want our dry bones to come to life, that is part of the process. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be the kind of community that practices fellowship. The kind of fellowship that you had in mind when you began the church, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would love each other well. I pray uh, that even when it's hard, we would, uh, in that difficulty, rise to the occasion and and follow uh, your lead in becoming more loving people. Uh, Lord, I pray that we'd be willing to put up with some mess, um, that we would be willing to turn away from simplicity and ease so that we can have a greater, richer experience of life. And Lord, I pray that we would value worshiping you together, that we would recognize the value of fellowship when it is standing alongside each other to exalt you as a community. Lord, breathe life into our dry bones. In Jesus' name, amen.